This episode is sponsored by Riverside, your all-in-one podcast and video platform. I've been using Riverside for years, super high quality podcast recordings ready in minutes, but listen to this. They just launched Magic Clips, which is their AI powered video clips maker for social media. So I do one podcast episode and get 10 video clips back in minutes. This is game changing for video content creators. Click the link in the show notes and use the code MSM23 for 15% off. This episode is also sponsored by PDC Flow payment management made easy. PDC Flow just built this super cool product called Flow Billing, which helps you avoid late or missed payments from your customers. Flow Billing captures payment information, verifies it to make sure it's valid, and automatically collects invoice payments for the work that you do. So there's no waiting and there's no uncomfortable email or phone call. Visit pdcflow.com flow billing to learn more. I'd just like to take a brief moment of silence to remember those innocent lives that have been lost during the terrorist attacks committed by Hamas in Israel, especially the children, babies, and families that were asleep in their homes. For all the victims of unspeakable terror, let's please take a moment. Thank you. We went to all the developer evangelists that we knew and, and loved that were highly successful at Twilio, and they all said the same thing. They're like, consistency and quality is key. You've got to keep the consistency up all the time in order to get the compounding effects later on. And so that was kind of you know knocked into our head early on. And of course, Anna showed up, had the exact same thing to say. So you know, we had to double down on that, and we've just tried to stick with it. And it's working. It's definitely a long game. It's a marathon. But when you get something that converts to a call, to a lead from content that you put out months ago, and all of a sudden you get somebody this inbound, you know, somebody comes in inbound is like, hey, I read this piece that you wrote, you know, two months ago. This really made sense to me right now. Can we talk? I mean, that's the win right there. If you're at an early stage startup, you're in the right place. Every startup begins bootstrapped, pre-seed or seed, and that's such an exciting time, but also a really challenging time. 50 to 90% of early stage startups don't make it. We should be able to get our startups over the hump and without guessing or throwing spaghetti. Marketing is an important part of your go-to-market strategy, but you need to understand the why behind the what in order to get clarity, make the right decisions and get results. Welcome to season four, where I'll be asking why in order to help bring more clarity to the messy world of early stage startup marketing. Hi, it's Anna. Welcome to the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm excited today because I have something a little different going on. I feel like I'm saying this a bunch though, like I'm trying different things in season four. So this time I've got two people with me, which is actually hard to do. I was just explaining. It's hard to get two people in this at the same time to jump on the show, but I'm going to love doing this, I think. So I've got Tyler Wells. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you, Anna. Great to be here. And I've got Natan Yellen. Welcome. Thank you. And so Tyler Wells is a co-founder and CTO at Propel. 
And Natan is the CEO at Robusta. So you're both Propel and Robusta, interestingly enough, both founded in 2021, both seed funded, and a quick description. So Propel is analytics platform as a service, which Tyler, you just told me like this is fairly new. You're creating a new category. It sounds like it's resonating with people. And I worked with you guys. I worked with the Propel team for over six months as your fractional head of marketing. So check out episode 159 because I've had Tyler on the podcast before. You can hear more about the work that we did together. We put together a go-to-market strategy. Now the co-founders are executing on it, putting their marketing hats on. And from what I heard last, getting some inbound from that. So very cool about Propel and about Robusta. Let me give you a quick description for DevOps to monitor their cloud and Kubernetes so they can respond faster. And I had to, because I haven't worked with you guys, I had to ask you, like, can you explain that a little bit more? So basically, you're helping these DevOps folks to respond to alerts faster by showing why they actually happen, because you're getting like millions of logs and metrics, and you're trying to figure out which of them are actually relevant for the problem that they're investigating. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I did some napkin math, actually. There's more logs and metrics and data collected than there are grains of sand on Earth. So oh. when something goes wrong and you're at the beach and you need to know where to look, even which beach to look. Oh, look. wow. And that's that would be really help. hard. Yeah, we help you with that on a specific cloud platform called Kubernetes and a specific type of data, at least as the base, called uh, Prometheus. So like we're really, on the one hand, we solve like a really annoying problem for a lot of people, but we zoom in and we narrow that a fair amount for who's our ICP. Very cool. Okay. And Natan, you reached out to me on LinkedIn back in July, and you introed yourself as a technical founder learning marketing on the go. So that's how I got interested to bring you on the show for season four, because I asked you, like, how are you learning marketing on the go? And you're like, you're rereading Ogilvy, you're planning some t-shirts for a conference. And to me, that sounds very familiar with early stage founders you know, dabbling in marketing and learning marketing on the go. So I'm so happy to have you both here. I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I wanted to try this out because we can bounce some questions and ideas and thoughts and stuff off each other. So let's go. Let's start. So season four for the show is all about the why. I want to ask more why questions because a lot of stuff out there focuses on the what, the tactics, People aren't always sure why they're running certain marketing plays or tactics. And I've been trying to help with the why. And even when I work with early stage startups, I developed this approach called MASS, Marketing as a System. And I help them understand the why behind it. It's not just like you should do this. It's also educating like, why are we doing some of this stuff? Because if you understand the why behind the what, you'll have the clarity to make the right decisions and get results. Something I keep repeating, something I super believe in, and that's why I'm going into these why questions in season four. So first, before we ask a juicy why question, let's define marketing. And I I want us all to go. Why don't we start? Who wants to go first? (laughs) My definition of marketing that I heard someone else say once, but I don't remember who, is that sales is getting rejected one person at a time and marketing is getting rejected by a million people at once. And I really like that for many reasons. But if I'm going to say that, now explain what marketing is, not in terms of an analogy, but marketing is about 
communicating the value of what you can do and why it matters to people and why they should care about that and why they should look at it and essentially convincing people to take a closer look at you at scale. So not like sales where you're speaking to one person at a time, not even necessarily like product that where like I uh, use Calendly and now other people have discovered Calendly because you used it. That's kind of product that. But marketing is about kind of putting up a billboard out there, putting out materials that people can discover and showing it to them and convincing them without ever speaking to them and doing this at millions of people at a time that they should take a closer look. Very cool. Okay. I like the focus on the first part where you said like sales is getting rejected by one person, marketing getting rejected by a million people. It's so negative, but it's <laughs> so true in that, you know, that's like the world that sales deals with. You get on the call, right, with the one person, either they want to book a demo, they don't want to. And marketing, you're putting yourself out there and creating awareness. And it's a one to many. And then either they love you or they hate you. So um, but it's a negative spin. Problem. Yeah, but I think that's we'll touch on this, I'm sure. But the I think like sales, there's this impression often for many people that you want everyone to say yes. You will get on the call with everyone. You want everyone to say, yeah, I want to demo. But no, that would be horrible. You would never have any time. You would never have time to invest in the, in the companies that are actually relevant. Think back to the dating days, right? When I was dating, I mean, if you'd go on a date with like, you can't date everyone at once, right? It doesn't, there are so many issues with that. So you want to find, you want to some degree, a certain amount of rejection. You want the yes in the area where it's relevant, where there's actual long-term value. So I think on the one hand, you're getting rejected one time at a time, but just in marketing, like in sales, you actually do want some degree of rejection because if you're not getting rejection, then you're not selling something that is actually really like to some degree at least polarizing what people will need or not need. And then you're not getting strong responses in any in any direction. Yeah, it's a great way to think about it. And it's also a great mindset shift to have versus like, oh, please buy from me. You really want this. You do. And then try to convince. But it's like, oh, you're not right for us. That's okay. We'll find someone else that is right for us. It's just a better approach from a sales standpoint. So marketing, you, Natan, defined it, communicating the value, why it matters, convincing people to take a closer look at you at scale. Tyler, do you have any other thoughts? Well, I mean, I always think heavily about our point of view, and especially when, you know, category creation, the point of view, getting people to understand how are you sort of changing that mindset from maybe what is de facto to what your categories or the point of view that you have in order to solve that problem. And marketing, hopefully implemented correctly, gives me scale of that point of view, allows me to get that out in front of more eyeballs, allows me to hopefully resonate with that copy that we've spent all types of, you know, plenty of time on that resonates with people that they understand it. I think like Natan want to take a closer look at it or can envision themselves solving their problems with your solution. Yeah, I love that. Okay. You guys both touched on this like scale. And I think that's really important part of why marketing is an important part of your go-to market strategy and why you guys are as, you know, co-founder, CEO, are implementing some of these marketing plays because you believe that it's very useful as part of your go-to market strategy. My definition of marketing is a five-point thing, of which point of view is one of them. So empathy, because if you don't have empathy for who you're building it for, then everything else breaks down. 
empathy, story, point of view, which kind of goes along with story, right? Giving value and expecting nothing. And giving value is something I tie back to marketing because sometimes with sales, it's not like, it's not necessarily obvious that what you're trying to do is give value here when you're talking to someone. You're tied to the result, right? You did this many calls. You did this many emails. How many turned into demos? How many turned into pipeline revenue, right? But with marketing, I think it's like a, you should approach it with a giving value first mentality and expecting nothing back. And this is my perspective because I think that when you focus on the empathy story point of view, giving value and expecting nothing, you focus on like, that's the purpose of your marketing versus when you focus on the end result, you don't necessarily get the results with your marketing efforts. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it completely does. Cause if you're focused solely on the end results, I think you're going to be disappointed the vast majority of the time, because especially in a sales, like we have timing and probably in all sales, timing is so critical. If I'm coming with a solution, but somebody doesn't have the problem or the timing is incorrect for that problem, it doesn't matter how good my message is. It doesn't matter if I empathize with them. It doesn't matter any of those. It's just not going to work. And so I, yeah, I think you'd be, you, if, if you're solely focused on results all the time, it's like, I put this message out there. How did that convert? What did it bring me? What did it do for me? Did I get enough impressions? You're going to be disappointed often. Yeah. But I don't know. Is that a bad thing? I mean, like I said, right? Marketing is getting rejected at scale. Is it a bad thing? I mean, yeah. your goal isn't to get accepted all the time, right? But like, what? Maybe I'm being unfair here, right? But like, for sometimes my team will come to me and they'll want to do something that they think is really cool. And I'll be a jerk and I'll say, will that convert for us? <laughs> I guess this will be really popular, <laughs> but will this lead to people? We spoke a little bit about conference t-shirts. So yeah, that t-shirt will be cool. But will that t-shirt cause anyone to discover the product of the value? Or will people just take it because it's a cool t-shirt, but they will never even remember what Robusta is? Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually have experience with that. We just did this at the Snowflake Summit. And so we, instead of getting a booth, we went to this conference, which for us at our stage, I felt was very expensive. You know, these are a couple thousand dollars per ticket, hotel rooms, flights, Booths were $50,000. Yes. So our budget was, what can we spend to get the most bang for our buck? And t-shirts worked actually quite well on in that respect because we said, okay, we're going to be walking billboards. Yep, yep. And so we have to have something that we didn't want to be super controversial or we didn't want to call people out or cause people to double take with, you know, look of disgust, but we wanted someone to double take and say, oh, that's interesting. And we had two sides to do it on and maybe sleeves as well, depending on what, how much real estate you could use. Yeah. And it worked. It started a lot of, a lot of interesting conversations because those were the only tools that we could afford from a budgetary standpoint. And the whole, you know, did it convert as much as we wanted? You always want more. I'd always want to have more conversations, more trips to the plate to have another bat, but did it start enough conversations? Yes. And I think it did. So there was definitely value in that. And it was, you know, it was a relatively cheap experiment, all things considered, definitely cheaper than a 50K booth that we may have been shoved in the back and talked to nobody, but I would do it again. No, but that converted. <laughs> See, I love that. Yeah. But that converted. You got the conversations. 
We didn't know if it would, because again, it took, so somebody had to walk. So we had slogans or sayings on both sides and we had like propel on the side here. So in order for us to work, we had to do one of two things had to happen. Somebody had to see it, stop us, say, okay, tell me about your API or tell me about GraphQL on top of Snowflake. Or the other one was someone would look at it, we would lock eyes, and then you had to make the first move. So I would see somebody staring at my shirt and I'd be, I'm happy to talk about it. What can I say? You know, how do you want to learn about it now? And then, you know, sometimes that would turn into me giving them stickers or I might give them something else, but at least you, you could get the conversation started pretty easily. No, but I love that. I love that on so many levels. And you did get rejected though. Think about it. You walk through a room yeah. of 10,000 people and you have five conversations, right? In, in 10 minutes. Yeah. So I like I love that, but 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 it converts. That's why it's beautiful because it worked. Yeah, we didn't know if it would. T-shirts. <laughs> T-shirts, yeah. Well, what did it say? Now I want to know. So on the front, it said, ask me about my API. And on the back, it said, GraphQL, your snowflake. That's cool. Very, I like the back better than the front, but I, the front is not bad either. Yeah, they. I mean, they both work. I got stopped because of both of them. And what I found is I couldn't wear my backpack because otherwise I covered up the back. We were coming out of the lunch line at the hotel where they had the event. Somebody says, all right, tell me about the GraphQL and my snowflake. Okay, great. So we stopped out, you know, outside and talked about it. And then other ones, you can see them looking you straight in the face as you're walking the convention halls and they look at you and all of a sudden they stop. Okay, tell me about your API. What about it? You know, let's hear about it. And those, both of them worked surprisingly. And we were very happy about that. But yeah, you also brought up a good point, which is there's a ton of rejection in there because as I'm walking around, all the people that are just ignoring it or all the people that give you the glance and they look away very quickly. And yeah, those are all rejections, but it doesn't feel like one. Yeah. Because you just kind of don't notice. Yeah. It ties back to, I do like that whole rejection. You do want to be rejected by a ton of people as long as you resonate with like those people where what you're making for them fits really, really well. So I like this t-shirt thing. It seemed like it worked. You're probably, are you still waiting to hear? You're probably like nurturing those conversations, right? From that conference that might take a yeah. little while, but it's awesome. You guys tried something out. What you guys don't know who, you know, the person listening to this episode doesn't know that Tyler, this is not the only thing that you do with your marketing. Like, let's talk about that real nope. quick. Like, what's your like main stuff that you focus on for marketing? Because we worked on this go-to market strategy. You guys started to add in some things. Let's talk about that. And then the town from your side, we'll talk about it too. Yeah. So from the Propel side, our main focus is on content and content generation. So we are focused heavily on developers. We want, so it's, you know, bottoms up. Uh, we want developers to read our content, have our point of view, resonate with them, hopefully hit them at the right time where they've got things like customer facing analytics on their backlog that they need to deliver. And we can change their mind from the build to the buy from us. And so when I think about the modalities that we're producing content for, first and foremost for us, which has been most successful are LinkedIn. So a lot of LinkedIn posts, we are consistently posting up there, not only as the two founders, but also as Propel. The second would be the blog. And so the blog allows us to put all types of content out there, control everything. We have a pretty decent cadence on putting content out there when we can. And, and we go back and forth between very technical content, sort of business adjacent or technical adjacent type content, 
content that's not too salesy. We don't want to use that channel or abuse that channel by saying, hey, we got a new product release. We do that, but that's not sort of the main focus of that. And then we actually have a podcast as well that I host. Yeah, it's called Data Chaos. And I'm still like in awe that a lot of it's not typical. It's not common. So when when a seed startup has a podcast, so I'm always like, oh, you have a podcast. That's amazing. And you guys have a marketing newsletter as well, like a monthly newsletter that you send out to folks. Yeah. So my co-founder, Nico, does the newsletter, which we all sort of contribute to, but he he basically runs that. And we send that out to our mailing list, plus all of our investors. And then the podcast largely came from listening to a couple of your early episodes where, you know, some other seed stage founders have started it and the reasons why they started it. And we started looking at that and I said, you know, let's just try it. Why not? I can talk and I'll get on there and have a conversation with somebody. And so we sort of thought about it. And I remember doing the first one, maybe the first one or two, and we sort of compared it between the amount of time it takes for me to go record a podcast and the amount of time it would take to actually write, hopefully a quality, compelling blog post. And it's a huge difference. I can sit down and have a hour to an hour and a half. I haven't done an hour and a half yet. Let's say an hour to an hour and 10 is probably my longest conversation with somebody as technical as we want to get or as non-technical, maybe we're talking founder stories and other things of that nature. And that generates a ton of content for me that I think is highly valuable, can be reused across the different modalities. I can take the video, I can take the transcript, I can take clips, I've got the audio, and all of those can be shared out everywhere in multiple places. Whereas if I've got to go spend the time to write, especially a blog post that's technical, that's hours, if not days at times. So for me, it's time and money is a scarce resource, obviously in a steed stage. So how can I be the most efficient? For me, it's been that podcast and we've, you know, I think I'm on 15 episodes now. Love it. Okay. Robusta time. Natan. Wait, I'm in the live respect. I just want to say I'm in the live respect for that. I, don't, I think people don't realize how hard the content stuff is in doing like really good content. And anyone can write bad content in five minutes, right? Or an hour or two hours. But good content is really hard. And I don't know how you guys keep up the cadence also on the podcast and uh, the other stuff. I do. I managed to keep up a decent cadence usually on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. I use SEMrush, so I just push out to both of them together. And then we did the Substack for a while and we have a bunch of subscribers, but we we fell off. The cadence was once a week and then it became twice a week. And now we haven't done one for six months, <laughs> which is a shame because we have all the subscribers, but we just don't get to it. And I used to do, I had a series, I called it 100 Kubernetes tools. And the original thinking was one tool mm-hmm. a day. And then people told me that was too much. So I cut down to like one a week or whatever. I haven't done another one of those probably in that one year. But I, we haven't been good at the cadence. So I have a lot of respect for that. I have a lot of respect. The reason we've kept it up is I think it was, you know, knocked into our heads early on. So coming from Twilio, before we started down this path, and this is actually even before we'd start talk to you, Anna, is we went to all the developer evangelists that we knew and, and loved that were highly successful at Twilio. And they all said the same thing. They're like, consistency and quality is key. You've got to keep the consistency up all the time in order to get the compounding effects later on. And so that was kind of, you know, knocked into our head early on. And of course, Anna showed up, had the exact same thing to say. So, you know, we had to double down on that and we've just tried to stick with it and it's working. It's definitely a long game. It's a marathon, but when you get something that converts to a call, to a lead from content that you put out months ago, 
And all of a sudden you get somebody that's inbound, you know, somebody comes in inbound is like, Hey, I read this piece that you wrote, you know, two months ago, this really made sense to me right now. Can we talk? I mean, that's the win right there. Yeah. Feels really good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So just, that's great. Now I, I wanted to, I, there's just like a lot that we talked about there and I just love it because it's great to hear from both, you know, Tyler and Natan and like what you've been doing. And also, yes, people don't realize how hard it is to create good content. I mean, today I was just on LinkedIn and I saw like somebody else started a podcast and they're talking about early stage startups. There's going to be a ton of other folks talking about the stuff that you want to talk about, maybe building something similar to you, right? But it shouldn't matter because what you're doing, it's just so, there are like so many different nuances, like who you are, who your team is made up of, how your product was built, who's investing in you, what your skills are, what your strengths are, where you are right now in the world and like the thing that you're building and the relationships you've already built, right? There's like a lot of stuff like that. So it's hard and other people will come in and start to build things up too. But as long as you like focus on what Tyler said, the consistency and the quality, you will see the compounding effects later on. And I have this like complete and total belief and that's why I'm continuing to do what I'm doing with my marketing. My marketing is just podcast, LinkedIn, newsletter. And I'm a one-person marketing team as well. (laughs) So it's all about that. Okay, let's cover a juicy why question. Why do marketing at all? Can't you just build your product and sell it? Most people can. (laughs) I mean, let me me turn that around, okay? Uh, I mean, what's like a good brand of soap that's famous that people might buy? How about Dove? Okay, Dove. Why would anyone buy Dove? Dove is the exact same as all the other soaps out there. There's zero differentiation, if we're being honest. Everything you believe about Dove, you only believe because of their marketing. It's soap. It's all the same. It's the same chemicals. There's nothing unique about Dove. It's soap. Their marketing is memorable. They started this like Dove Real Bodies campaign or something. And so when I think of Dove, I think of more than just soap. You think of the point of view, right? That Tyler mentioned. Yeah. The point of view that everyone is beautiful and the point of view that your body is good, like, is good the way it is, right? And you don't need to try and show just models that have an unrealistic body type. So you're buying Dove, right, for reasons that actually don't have to do with the product, if we're being honest. But now we're all trying as founders. We're not trying to do that. We're building a wonderful differentiated product with these capabilities that no other product out there can do. And we're the only product that can solve your your problem, right? But how does anyone know that? Like, even if I did that, right? And I went and I really did that. I really built something that's super differentiated that nothing else out there can do. One of the interesting things that you dive is like, I knew this, but I've seen it time and time again play out, is that like prospects will come and or customers will come, or even people, even paying customers, often do not even know all the things that your product can do. And sometimes they need a little bit of help to connect them to that and to realize that. So, you know what, maybe like head and shoulders is actually really, really good at removing dandruff, okay? But imagine if head and shoulders did not market itself as the dandruff removing shampoo. Imagine if head and shoulders just had on there, like this is shampoo. No one would buy it to get rid of dandruff, even though it's really good at that. So without marketing, then 
And, and some people are arguing, saying, no, that's not marketing. It's uh, the product, it's the onboarding, it's the activation. No, we're just marketing to different people, right? With an onboarding um, flow, you're also getting rejected by the masses uh, who are closing that and don't want that flow. But you're in all these cases, what we're trying to do is we're trying to communicate the value that's there to the people who it's relevant to. And it's not enough to just build out the value because people usually won't know. It's a very, very rare uncommon product where people can pick it up. Even think about like the best products in the world, right? Like think of a, an iPhone and you pick up an iPhone and imagine you didn't know about the iPods first. You would not connect that this is a device for music and for listening to music, right? Like you know that because of marketing. Yeah, I think it's, and Tyler, you can jump in as well, but I think like the building the product and then trying to sell it is, it could probably work for a little bit. I think you could probably do that. Like I built this product, it's really cool. But where marketing then gets you to, I think to get to sell that faster is because now you're tying it to emotion. And that's why people buy. And I don't know if you guys want to argue with me on that. Like people aren't logical. It's just, this is how it is. People don't buy based on logic. You can talk about all of the different logical features you have. Like, this is the problem. This is, I built this product. It all makes sense. Now buy it. People aren't logical. They're not going to buy it because people are not logical. They buy based on emotion. So even if you tell, if you put in your marketing, we just built this super different product. It can do this, this, and this. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares because what they want to see is Dove's campaign with real bodies. Like, oh my gosh, I connect to that. I also believe that. That's my mission too in life. I want to make sure that, you know, it's all about real bodies and we don't have to take this, the magazines that are whatever it is, right? You connect on an emotional level with a person, you're more likely to sway them to want to check you out. That's why we spend a lot of time on that point of view, right? The languaging on the point of view, the realness of the point of view, hopefully the passion of the problem we want to solve for our customers is coming out in spades in that point of view. And so that comes through our writing, that comes through our podcasting, that comes through anything and everything that we can to get that out there, because that typically is what gets us a decent conversion. Again, we're talking the conversion numbers, but it gets somebody like where they resonate. They're like, oh gosh, I totally agree with that. Like I have this problem too. Oh wow. I've spent the money, the time, the effort. I've built up these big teams. I don't want to do that again. You know, we had a customer say to us, one of our first customers, he said, Hey, I've, I've built this before and I don't ever want to do this again. This is hard. This is expensive. And this caused me a lot of pain. So I want to go to you propel and you will take care of this for me. And that will be the magic that you can deliver. Yeah. One more thing, which we talked about earlier, was marketing equals scale, right? So you could do your sales, you could build your product, you could sell it, but it's all it's going to be hard to, to sell it at scale, um, or at least not to sell it, but to create awareness around it, to create demand around what you're building and why you're building it and who it's for, right? So marketing equals scale as well. Anything else you guys wanted to mention on this? why do marketing at all? I just love to hear your perspective. I think point of view, Natan, you brought it up. Tyler, point of view, you brought it up as well. I think we're all in agreement. Point of view matters. <laughs> point of view matters. Now, if I think about why why marketing, you know, we'd said earlier, like, okay, imagine we build 
the greatest analytical platform for delivering customer-facing analytics, which we've built. It's amazing. We love it. Okay, if I don't have marketing, so what's my next best thing? I can go to the people that I know in my network. Okay, depending on how big or small my network is, maybe I can talk to a few people. Maybe I can put it out there. I can show them what I've done. And then then at that point, it's either going to be word of mouth because they're going to tell somebody else or it's just going to die and there's nothing's going to happen. Like there's no notion that build it. If you build it, they will come. That to me was like a very naive thinking that I might've had in my twenties as a software engineer thinking, oh, I can just build it and anyone will come and they're just going to find it magically. There's no silver bullet for getting your point of view, for getting your product out there. There's a million things you have to do and it's a grind and you have to keep at it. You can try to harvest your network as much as you can. We did. We've gone to all these people. They know us. I've worked with them. I've been in the trenches with them solving these types of problems. You show it to them like, that's amazing. I don't need it right now. So then what? So then it's like, okay, I've got to expand that. Well, how do I expand my market? Well, I've got to expand that through marketing. I've got to get the word out there, get the point of view out there, get the ideas of the things that we can help customers solve and companies solve to the masses. If I think about something as simple as LinkedIn, a single post, if I get 5,500 impressions on that, which I know for some people, and it's probably not a lot for you, but for us you know, that are, that are still out there grinding on it, if I can put a piece of content out there that gets, say, 5,500 impressions, well, that's a hell of a lot more eyeballs that are now seeing, potentially seeing our point of view, our product, that have maybe not seen it before, that if that timing is correct and it resonates with them, that might convert to a sale. Beautiful. Tyler. You're great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I want to kind of talk about hard stuff. What's been the hardest thing? And Natan, you've been dabbling with some marketing things, right? When you message me, you're like, I'm learning, I'm doing, I'm making some t-shirts, I'm reading up on some stuff. You know, you mentioned some of the marketing, the LinkedIn right? That you're using LinkedIn and Twitter and you kind of, you had that newsletter, Substack newsletter, but can't get to it and did some things, but it's, what would you say? And either one of you could go first. Like, what's the hardest thing about marketing for you? And why do you think it's been hard? Gosh, I know where I can go with this because <laughs> I'm still, I'm still living this, this frustration. I mean, so my background is obviously building products, building organizations, building companies. I, for the first year and a half here at Propel, all we did is code because we had no product. We're starting at zero. So myself, my other co-founder, Mark, he and I were coding nonstop. As it got to the point, like, okay, we actually have something. We've hired a few people. Then it's like Nico and I, okay, we've got to start generating interest. We've got to start marketing. So how are we going to do this? Okay, great. We know we've got to do from talking to the evangelist, that former Twilio, we know we've got to start creating content. We've got to start doing the blog. So we start thinking about those things. You start doing the LinkedIn stuff. What I have found to be the hardest, and maybe this is a personal thing, is you write a piece of content. You're like, this thing's awesome. I think this is going to be the one. This is going to be really cool. You put it out there and it falls flat on its face. You never know. You, you never, just never know. know. I know. I know. <laughs> it drives me nuts though, because what I think is cool clearly is not cool with a bunch of other people that are have the potential to see that or the algorithm or whatever it is. And so I remember just like, I, I would write something. I'm like, God, I really like this. I really like this piece. It's I feel like it, it resonates. It tells a good story. It's actionable. It teaches something. Okay, put it out there. And you're like, 
watching it, you're kind of like, okay, here it goes. And, you know, you put yourself out there. Oh, I got 50 impressions. Oh, wow. Okay. Shoot. <laughs> so yeah, I think to me, that's, that's been, and then you have to come back and you got to do it again the next day. And then and you got to do it again the next day. You have to keep doing this. And then all of a sudden, some piece of content. And Anna, we talked about this when we were still working together. I reshared something and sort of repurposed something that I'd written three or four weeks ago. And it did like 10 times as well as the pre, as the original post. So there's all these nuanced things, but yeah, I mean, for me, that's sort of this, this continuous grind of almost continuous disappointment with the occasional, it's like, yes. Rejection. <laughs> rejection, <laughs> right. Like you said, Natan, the constant rejection. <laughs> if I may, I mean, we get like tens to hundreds of thousands of impressions on LinkedIn a week. So like we generate a lot of stuff, but, and I found that what helps is to just give up on predicting and to try and do stuff in bite size, like one, try and do stuff in bite sized chunks. So like, given that you really never know if something is going to resonate or not when you're first posting, then don't post like something long or that like, a lot of work goes into post three sentences. And then the yeah. second piece of that is when you see that something is resonating, then double down on that. And I think people underestimate how much you can take the same thing and use it again and again and again and do variations on it until it stops working. But think about it. Like, we're all an hour ahead and we think, well, I said this yesterday. And like I said, it three months before that, and I said it, I posted about another month, like a month ago too, right? So like, I can't post about this again. Well, the, actually most people who are following you on social media or even most people in your network, they probably missed it the first three times. <laughs> I mean, like, totally just, agree. they're not aware of everything on you. It's like back when you're a teenager in high school and there's a pimple on your nose and it's all you can think about, right? But well, everyone else is going around. They're not looking at you. They're thinking about their pimples. So like, I think people underestimate how much you can take the same thing and then reuse it. And when you do that, then you can start to play around with ideas. Like now what's very trendy for us, like in the space we're in is what's called platform engineering. And that's this big, big shift from how everyone operated and did like DevOps. And we said like developers, they have to know how to do operations. Uh, sorry, they have to know how to do operations. They have to know how to do development. They have to know how to do a million things. And now there's this big movement that pushes back and says, you know what, like maybe someone has a real discipline. Let's try and enable them and empower them and like give them some tools to help. Um, so that's a big, big popular topic. And the first time I posted on that, we posted on it because we saw that a lot of the teams we were selling to were these platform engineering teams. I don't think we realized even how much of a nerve we were going to hit. And then we hit that and we said, okay, you know what? Let's, let's talk about this a lot more now. Let's make a conference talk on that, right? So you double down on the winners and do it probably 10 times as much as you think would be a good idea. And it'll still work. Well, to talk about, it's interesting you say the platform engineering. So out of my 15 episodes, my most downloaded or listened to episode was the first full-length episode I did with Nico, my co-founder of Why We Built Propel. And I remember you telling me that like your most downloaded or most listened to episode was probably the first one you did for the modern you know, startup marketing that you did. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. The second most popular, which is very close to coming into the lead, is on platform engineering. And was when I had the former VP of platform engineering at Twilio, friend of mine, good friend of mine, Jason Hudak, on that podcast. It was video only. There was no, I mean, sorry, audio only. There was no video. And that thing just shot up like people loved it. So I can see how you find that little niche and double down on it and just keep rolling. And, and you know, hopefully you continue to convert or get conversions out of that. 
along with the rejections, of course. But for us, another hit was like um, Kubernetes resource um, management. Like you're running something that you have to know how much resources it takes. And the traditional thinking is like, okay, build product, now market that product, right? Actually, we wrote a blog post around something that we kept hearing from our customers that was adjacent to us and was really interesting. And that blew up and kept on blowing up, really the blog post that keeps on giving. And then we made conference t-shirts that touched the point of view that we had there, right? Don't set limits, actually do this. Go contrary to what everyone's telling you, do this the opposite way around. And then finally, like probably a year after that original blog post, we actually released an open source tool that addresses a real severe pain point around that. And of course, updated the blog post now to refer to that, which converts very well. So I think like to wrap that up though, when you have a point of view and when you're creating content and sometimes, or even very often, you stumble onto something by accident that will be very interesting. And I forget the exact saying, but there's something like how um, like duck favors the prepared, right? Like if you want to get hit by lightning, it's actually easy to do. Just walk onto a storm holding up a pole. So you, like, you have to trial enough stuff and then you have to like kind of be observing that and saying, oh, well, this is actually picking up with that and then we'll do more of that. And I think that kind of loop really is behind a lot of the great marketing successes. Um, that definitely resonates because we've been playing around with it. So I was I was expressing frustration last week with with Nico. And so what we do is every Friday, Nico and I, for fun, we look at our impressions over the last seven days to see who's in the lead, just to kind of gamify it a little bit on LinkedIn, because it's kind of one of the one of the things that we can look at really easily without kind of you know digging in too much. And I told him this one, I said, you know, I, I had taken this quote from a podcast that I did that I, you know, I released the other week. I really love this quote. I love the the analogy that the guest had, had spun together. I put it out there and it did terrible. So I showed it to Nico. He read it and he's like, let's rewrite it. He's like, let's rewrite it a little bit. Let's change this around and let's put it back out there. Cause he had some ideas. He said, Hey, let's shorten this. Let's make this a little more concise and let's put a little, like a little uh, call to action in there if we can and put it out there. And the one that I'd written had probably been out for like, just say three or four days. And let's say it gotten to maybe 60 impressions, something like that. It was just pathetic. We put it out there within 10 minutes. His was already over a hundred. <laughs> it had taken off on us a little bit and it was, and it just kept climbing from there. So that was, that was fun. Like I totally agree with the time. Like you've got to experiment, you've got to sort of tweak these little things. And if you find something that works, you know, that's great. Cause you found sort of that niche of platform engineering that's resonating with your audience and it's taken off. I think I'm still, still working on it, work in progress. So I'm thinking back to something you said at the beginning about kind of not maybe taking it too seriously or about like not looking too much at the results. And I pushed back at the time, but I think now I actually understand what you were trying to say. And I do agree with that. Like, I actually yeah. don't look that much at my impressions. <laughs> like I'll look now and then, like if I'm trying to get something, get somewhere specific, or I want to understand, okay, would more people interested in that or in that, like, or what's a good topic or I'm out of ideas. But I try not to look back like on a post by post basis. Cause then I think I would be afraid to play. Like I would be, it would become too, there'd be too much pressure, right? Like too I, connected. I, yeah. You want to create that kind of sense of, we all had as, as kids about like beginner minds where you're mm -hmm. just like, just poking stuff to see what happens, you know? I love that mentality. Wow. You guys like didn't have me chime in at all. And I feel like 
a lot of things got covered anyways. And I just love this back and forth. There's something about like two, like I know, you know, co-founder, CEO, but there's something about you guys coming together kind of in similar spaces, although not like totally, but kind of in similar, you know, developers, DevOps, stuff like that. So there's something about the back and forth and how like I tried this, I think about it this way. There's something magical about it. So I super loved it. The stuff that you guys covered, I'm just trying to look back because I took notes. You said, Tyler, that you kind of gamify. So let's just step back to what I did say, Natan, like not taking it too seriously. What I said for like, what is marketing? That last point is expect nothing, expecting nothing, giving value and expecting nothing. I don't mean like truly just don't look at anything and expect that nothing will happen because you better believe that I'm checking my LinkedIn posts, which ones are resonating, which ones are not, so I can make more of the good ones, right? And podcast episodes, like which ones people are listening to, which ones not. And when prospects come in to do a discovery call, how did they find out about me? You better believe I'm checking all of that, right? To make sure that I'm in the right channels and putting out quality content. But what I mean is, I think, Natan, what you just said, like not taking it too seriously, not focusing on that, using it to tweak the way that I create my content and create a roadmap for where I'm going, but not taking it too seriously, I suppose, is a great way to put it. So I love that. I think of it like kind of like U.S. treasuries. I know that's a very weird analogy, but if you get like uh, six months treasury or whatever, you're going to get a yield on that of, let's say, I don't know, I'm making up numbers. These are completely off, but that you're going to get on that, let's say 3%, right? But if you get a 10-year treasury, you're going to get a yield on that now of 15% year over year or whatever, right? Again, numbers are completely wrong. Um, anyone who's in finance is listening to this will be, all like, be like, oh, that is it. But the point is, though, that I think maybe, am I still in line with the original meaning? If I say when you say expect nothing, you mean don't optimize on short-term gain? Yeah, that's exactly right. Don't think about it as like, I am putting out my message. I'm putting up, giving, you know, value, sharing my message, putting content out there. And I'm looking for short-term wins. Like you're looking for the long, it's a long game, Tyler, like you said, it's a long game, but you're looking for those signals that you're going in the right direction, right? But the approach, if you take this mindset, if you take this approach of giving value and expecting nothing, I think your marketing will go much further faster. So, yeah. It's more authentic. It doesn't feel like someone's trying to get something out of you short term. Yeah, it's like, you know, probably listeners are going to be going like, well, you know, why is he, you know, checking his his impressions all the time and all that other stuff? It's, I do want some level of feedback, right? And I think for us, kind of gamifying it a little bit has made, made it more interesting just for, because why not? But also at the same time, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a reformed developer here, right? So like as a developer, when I'm writing software, I'm getting immediate gratification from what's coming out of, you know, what I've produced with my, this is sort of the same to me. So as I'm writing content and I'm having to do a lot more of that now than I am code, well, there's no immediate gratification, but there is like, I want to at least learn from it. I want to get better at it. So what's one way to do that? The gauge is, okay, are people interacting with it? Are people commenting on it? Are people liking it? Are people celebrating it? Is nothing happening with it? You know, all of those sorts of things. So it's like, is there the expectation that, oh, this there's going to be this, again, there's no magic silver bullet, right? But I've, I've got to, the things that I can control, I want to at least 
measure them, understand them so I can improve them down the road or continuously improve them. Absolutely. But I think it's the same thing. I think it's about reducing that pressure, reducing that like yeah. almost performance anxiety. And in a way, gamifying it, like that serves the same goal, right? It makes it a little yeah. bit less serious. Like, oh, oh we did these posts this week, all that flapped. <laughs> like yeah. it's still kind of encouraging that experimentation. Marketing is all just a game, guys. Marketing <laughs> equals game. I know the formula now. So in the time we have left, I want to make sure that there's enough time because I want to ask this with the guests that come on now, like every time. As a startup co-founder or CEO, what burning question do you have for me? Anybody can go first. Yeah. So what I think it's to some degree, it's unfortunately a question that only we can answer, <laughs> but it is a question for a marketing professional, which is what don't we say? And what I mean by that is we build a product. We got hundreds of companies, right? Using the stuff we built. We have open source projects. We have like great tractions. We naturally have a lot of capabilities there as well. People come and request it and like, you probably split it down to like, okay, you could split it down to two main use cases, let's say, right? And actually have two, possibly three main open source projects, right? But someone reaches the website and they're completely fresh. They don't know any of that. And you can't speak about everything you do or you've spoken about nothing. You have no coherent message. So then the challenge for us is what do we say and what don't we say? And to make this a little more concrete so that people can actually follow along with what I'm saying, like for us, the two main use cases is one is responding to others. And that's what we said at the beginning. And it was actually pretty deliberate there. And I didn't even say at the beginning of this episode. And when you asked me in advance, I didn't describe the second thing we do. And the second thing we do is cost saving for Kubernetes and cloud. And those seem like two very different things, right? So I would have now the burden is on me to explain why they're the same. But for our persona, they're actually two really adjacent use cases. And for the architecture, what we build and for the type of data that like we're looking at, they're actually really, really similar. And like every time you get in a call with person about one, we end up bringing in the other. And like there's among our paying customers, there's we can sell those even on like enterprise plans for on-premise and stuff as different packages. And then people want not just one package, they want all the packages. So they're very, very similar. But if I said at the beginning of this call, we help you respond to alerts and we help you save costs, you wouldn't understand why I'm talking about why those two are related. So deciding when you're messaging and when you're speaking, how you're going to edit and what you're going to not say, sometimes has much harder decisions. And it's really hard when, if one thing isn't working, one thing is working, fantastic. But when two things are working, that's really hard. Because if you say them both now, you've said nothing. So that's challenging. Yeah, it's a great question. I had someone on the podcast earlier and we were looking at the website. And it's really interesting because I just popped over to your website, Robusta, home.robusta.dev. And I'm popping over to their website right now. And oh, no. well, no, it's okay. <laughs> the thing I notice is you've got a lot of text right when I land on your website. And I had to do this research, right? Because I was bringing you on. So I really wanted to understand who are you for and what are you building for them? Because those are the two things you want to make sure that you are very clear on when a person that doesn't know you lands on your homepage. So the more words you add, the more reasons you add, they're just going to get lost. Like, I don't know, what's their main thing? What's their, somebody asked, I don't remember who it was, but they asked on the sales. It was like with a previous client and they came to me and they said, we got on the call 
And we did the whole discovery call at the end of it where we explained the product. And at the end of it, they're like, what's your bread and butter? So you want to make sure that you answer, what is your bread and butter? Ouch. We're actually going to redo the website. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying ouch as well. Like we're actually taking off the cost saving from the and stuff from the home page. Yeah. And we're just focusing in on what for us is the more popular first use case. Yeah. It's so hard, but it's so great. Like Tyler, you probably agree with me that when you said like, oh, we finally landed on like the thing that clicks. Our investor got it right away. And when you do that, when you're able to say in a single sentence who you're for, what you're building for them, and it finally clicks, that's really what you want. And it's not easy to get there. So it took us a lot of iterations. I mean, you remember we went through what, probably 10 different sort of category names. And we kind of like went back to something that we, we knew and loved, which, you know, Nico and I helped build at Twilio, the communication platform as a service, communications platform as a service. And the other day, as we're putting together a pitch deck, Nico throws it out there. He's like, here it is. And it, and it right at the top is analytical, you know, analytics platform as a service. And I was like, Hey, wait a second, this works. Wait, how did this? He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, we built communications. It makes sense for us to build analytics. And then when the first time we pitched it, somebody like they just got it. But yeah, it's like that was not easy. That was hard fought. It's not easy because you're taking something and you're ripping out the stuff that's not necessary. Really, you're just like editing and changing it so that it's just like faster to get it because you're not around when somebody lands on the website. You're not there to help them through it. Right. So the way I think about it is like, who are you for and what have you built for them? And you're going to have to just focus on what's the biggest value that people are getting from your tool, right? How do they kind of talk about it? And what's the biggest value? And you want to try to stick to the rule of three. I don't know if you guys have heard of the rule of three, but I always like to stick to rule of three. As you go further down in your homepage, like focus on your three main value props, focus on your like top features if you can, right? You could go into it more at length when you hop on discovery calls and they want to, you know, and they're like, wow, I didn't know this also does that. But Focus on prioritizing what's the biggest value that you bring for your target buyer. Makes sense. Kill your, kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. <laughs> there, That's <I> right. <laughs> Tyler, we have one minute. Do you have a question for me? I do remember your the question. So I was supposed to have a question, which was, what is the burning question? So yes. <laughs> you helped us put together our go-to-market strategy. And now it's been several months since we've executed on that strategy. And you've you're still in our Slack channels. You've been able to see it from the outside and, and watch what we've done. What have you watched us do or execute upon or, or you know, put out there where you're like, ooh, maybe you guys should have done this or you should think about this or like, what are we not doing? Are, are you seeing anything that you're like, oh gosh, you guys should really be doing this? Tyler, it's the million dollar question. You guys can get yourselves so only this far with your sales. You guys can only get yourself like eventually, I'm not saying that you've reached that point, but you'll know when it's like, okay, it's time to bring someone on that is going to be our, our marketing leader. So there's no one particular thing. You guys are running the strategy. You're doing, you're, you know, doing, the, I'm impressed with your consistency, with your the quality you're putting out there. You're testing things, you're learning, you're tweaking, but you're eventually going to have to bring somebody on that is yeah. your marketing leader. And it may not be now, you know, you're, I think you had mentioned like you're going in for your next round and it may not be now, but eventually you're going to want to focus on the 
co-founder stuff and bring somebody to focus on the marketing, head of marketing stuff. I just talked to a seed startup head of marketing today, and she told me all the things that she was doing and the results that they were getting. And it is crazy. So that's it. That's my only recommendation is like, you will only get to a certain point. You can do all you can. You've got certain skills. You've got, you're, you're learning a ton. You've done things that you've never done before, right? But, yep, but until you get a marketing leader on board to take over and really go big on the channels and you know work on things like a very strategic person that has done this stuff before, it won't be the traction that you're looking for, probably. It's so cruel, though. It's so cruel <laughs> as a founder. You do something and you're awful at it, and then you start getting good at it. And as soon as you're even a little bit good at it, you have to hand it off to someone else and start doing something else that you're bad at. That would be ideal. I will take that though. That would be fantastic. That would be, to me, that would be a huge win. If we can get to the point where we're handing off the things that like Nico and I are doing now, my other co-founder, from a marketing perspective and a content perspective to professionals, to somebody that can take and run that, that means we've hit an inflection point and we're we're going someplace, right? We're that would make me very happy. It's harder than you think. <laughs> like when you get to that, you, so it's like sales, right? You have to, you have to kind of get to the point where you, as a founder, really truly understand what it is that's working and think it's repeatable. Yeah. Have some belief that's repeatable, and only then can you bring in someone else. Yep. That you can't. Sometimes you will find these people, but it's a very rare person when start will be able to do something that the founder can't do at all. Usually it's you can just take something the founder is doing and then you can do five times as much of it or 10 times as much and maybe like 30% better. But you kind of have to already position the, like you have to have a vector pointing in the right direction and then you can just make it go way up. Right. Right. Absolutely. Guys, we're over time. This was awesome. I'm so glad I experimented on my podcast with you guys and had this like dynamic conversation between all of us. If Anybody wants to find Tyler, they can do so. Go to Tyler S. Wells on LinkedIn. He is posting on there and bringing up and gaming the system and bringing up his impressions, right? Learn more about Propel. You could go to propeldata.com and you can find Natan on LinkedIn as well, Natan Yellen, and learn more about Robusta by going to home.robusta.dev. And I super appreciate you guys coming on here at the same time, making room in your calendars. Absolutely. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I, I've already gone and added Tyler on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I expect I'm going to be learning a, bit, a decent amount about Snowflake, right? I see here a blog post on how you reduced your Snowflake spend by 20%. That does seem like a good blog post. Thanks for listening to this weekly episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Fermanov, visit my website to learn more about how I help early stage startups, go to fermanovmarketing.com, and don't forget to leave a review if you're loving the show. 